Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? I'm psyched. Just absolutely psyched to be here. Just so psyched. Okay, so (laughs) it is December 4th as we are recording this, which means... Checklist. Checklist. Uh, We've been having uh, marital battles about checklists for the holidays. Stay tuned for next week's Q and A on that topic. The, mar- uh, the maritals or the checklist? Oh, okay. Oh, that's okay. gonna we're gonna go deep. But no, I meant you made it past November without getting on the trainer, so you completed your no trainer Another in November. Big annual goal. Which yeah. like this year, kudos because it has not been a super easy last couple really? of weeks. I didn't think this year was that bad, but I think also I was just extra lazy this year. I just didn't train as much. Maybe that's actually the key. Is it, well, it's I always not say that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't have to train, so I always say I'm not that hard. I just sometimes go for a walk instead of riding my bike. But I, there was a few days that were like rougher. But I honestly, like I rode yesterday, which was in December, and it was the roughest day. Like it was that, it was you know, ar- around freezing and raining and splashing up and my fenders didn't fit on. And I hadn't, re- I've been very lazy about putting my fenders on. So I, I very, yeah, I very quickly, like I always have a moment in the fall when my last race is over, where I'm like, yes, back on the bike, definitely going to ride a lot more. And then the weather turns and I'm like, absolutely not back to running. Running is the only way to do it. Yeah. I could see with the indoor trainer for runners for sure. But yeah, it's a horrible time to decide you want to ride a bicycle. Yeah, I will. However, I do plan on getting on the indoor trainer a little bit, just as a bit of a bit of cross training. And I've been writing up all of these things for bicycling about like how to use trainer road and Zwift and full gas and all of these new world. Yeah. Yeah. seems like this year there's been not a lot of competitors or, or, but it seems like this year there's a few more that are at least getting, you know, past the, initial point of like there's something new and then people try it and then you never hear about it yeah, again yeah. so we'll see we'll see if anything persists yeah maybe i can just run them all at once like just go like eight screens in front of me just like yeah that would be good it's probably make indoor training less less unenjoyable board on board on this screen let me look at the other screen and the other screen and the other, which i think is what most people do anyway now that i think sure. about yeah, it. yeah you need to have three for yeah, sure. yeah at yeah. least at least minimum anyway today's guest however is not about the the screens he is much more into the the overused epic phrase but honestly when you're talking about tour divide can you how can you not say epic? well i mean yeah i don't even know if that's bike packing at this point yeah but it's it's bike packing it's sort of a race now but not a race but it's sort of a race people go very fast there are record times but we have brooke smith back who's he's been on at least at least once talking about bike yeah. packing in yeah. the past yeah I, I think he might have been on twice we, we should have checked this beforehand but we'll link to those past ones because brooke is a guy who i worked with i've coached brooke for xc racing and then he sort of graduated and went on to doing bike packing and is just He's he's really good. He's set some FKTs. He's done, you know, tour divide. He's done some massive, massive trips on, on all scales, right? Some of these, you know, three, four, five day, seven day, but then into this tour divide that's getting into like measured, you know, now in, in weeks, I guess. So just really neat talking through all the experience, all the gear, all the strategy. He built his own bags, which is really neat. His mom, I, I believe, was like a, a seamstress. 
So nice. he, you know, had learned how to sew and, and build these bags. So yeah, just really, really cool adventures. And we talked towards, you know, someone like Brooke coming from, you know, having raced a little bit across country, but like by no means like a pro tour racer going out there and then, you know, measuring himself against someone like Lachlan Morton, Who is a pro tour racer. you know, and just like, you know, built for these epic things, just, you know, he's a different animal. Yeah. No, I, I really like this. Brooke has been an awesome source. Anytime I've been doing articles about bikepacking, he always has a ton of really great stuff to say. So I am very excited. And so we thought this. this was a good one, you know, as we're getting towards the New Year's and, and planning for the next season, you know, New Year's I'm always hesitant with, but like we're, you know, as bicycle riders or runners or endurance athletes, you're thinking towards what is the, the goal for the next one, two, three years. Uh, you know, I think Brooke's message is very inspirational. You know, you can start at this level and then eventually you're riding, you know, across a continent over the most difficult way you could probably choose to ride across a continent. Yes. So whether the Tour Divide is your aspiration for 2024, or it's just like a weekend of bikepacking, you know, I think this is just such a fun episode for, yeah, getting your wheels turning about what is possible. And probably a good time for us to, this isn't an ad, but our friends, Matt Katie, I think they're organizing that no winter maintenance. So this is around where we are in Ontario, Southern Ontario. It's a two day sort of, I think it's like 150 we'll call it 150 a good day. I don't think it's that far each day, but two days. And then there's a campground uh, that they've secured halfway through uh, very hilly route. So great. If you're preparing for a gravel race or something, even like Leadville, honestly, it would be a good two days of big, long gravel rides. You could do it on your mountain bike. Uh, and that's June one, two, I think. So if you just Google no winter maintenance camping or something, you'll probably find it. Yeah. And I think this is going to be sort of similar to how Quebec single track last year was our big. Well, no out. promises that nope. we're going <laughs> I'm pretty sure we're going. I don't know. I think there's conflicts, but we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. We're hoping to be there. Anyway, definitely check that out if you're looking for bikepacking. But without further ado, let's get into this episode with Brooke Smith. Enjoy. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete. I'm excited. We have a guest back for the third time. We have Brooke Smith, who is a bikepacking extraordinaire. I have called him a professional bikepacker. I don't know that you get paid, but I welcome you back in any case. Yeah, I wish I got paid, but no, I'm not. uh, I'm, I'm in the definitely an amateur okay okay even though bikepacking is becoming this like big you know it seems like professional all the pro tour guys are going to it you're saying there's no money in bikepacking yeah well for me there isn't (laughs) it seems to cost me a lot of money okay and we were just talking you know you've been on you did we just did a bikepacking 101 which i don't even know is probably maybe early pandemic like 2020 type thing and then you went and did a bunch of bt and like longer ones you got the FKT, the fastest time on our, our big, you know, crown jewel, 700 kilometer plus or minus bikepacking route in Southern Ontario. You got that. So we had you back on and you told us about that. And then, and then I figured, you know, that's, that's pretty wild. He's done, but then no, no, in 2023, you went and did the tour divide, which is, as I'm looking at this, 4,418 kilometers. So that's, I don't, I'm not great with math, but that's like a bunch. That's like, six bt 700s stacked yeah, back to back to back yeah it's it's pretty excessive amount of distance it's one hell of an adventure that's for sure okay so i thought that's what we'd talk about we've had a couple listeners ask you know about this which i don't know i didn't realize we had such wild people listening but there you go um and as always you know it's we can learn whether we're like myself just trying to edge into like first bike packing trips and camping outdoors in the darkness or some folks who are looking for that next challenge you know i, I assume this tour divide can even be chunked up into smaller things like a lot of these right yeah yeah you could definitely like section ride the bt maybe i i might do it between big cities so you could have easy access to like airports and 
and things like that. But you could definitely do that. And I've had people reach out the, to ask me like what the best way of doing that would be. So Okay. Yeah. No, I guess for it's definitions, they, they have a website. It's tourdivide.org, I think. It seems like it was easy to Google and find out information. But g- give us the runout. It's like sort of from Alberta, yeah. like the border in Canada. And then you, yeah. drive, you rode your bicycle vertically down the United States. And where does yeah, it end? It, yeah, so it starts in Banff, Alberta. And then you ride all the way down to the bottom of New Mexico. So I basically, I, I tie a little border crossing called Antelope Wells. In that in that in that time, you climb thirty five thousand meters, and I think the the you go through Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, Colorado, and of course New Mexico in the states. Okay, yeah. Wow, it just it just seemed like how long were you going? Like, what what's the time span like? Yeah, I took three weeks off because I had no clue how long it would take. So I took three weeks off and I ended up finishing in 18 days and three hours or so. But you definitely, the logistically, you have to show up in Banff a couple of days early just to kind of get everything together. And then the, you know, you really don't know how far you can go each day. Like you really got to take everything kind of as it comes. Like any planning that you do beforehand, it's like, it's real general because you have no clue what the weather is going to be like, how you're going to feel you know, what your, your output's going to be, you know, it's, it's not like any other type of, of bike race. And it really, it's, it's even a lot different than, than like the BT 700 is kind of like a sprint compared to this thing. Cause like every single day, like, you know, it's like a bunch of those back to back, you know? Right. Right. So 18 yeah. days. And what was our math here? Was it around 4,500 plus or minus? Okay. So that's, this is a lot. This is like, so you're doing like 200 plus K days then is, is this math? Yeah. Is that like, these are big and, and it's not flat. Like this isn't going through the plains. No. This is in the mountains of Colorado. Like you are walking up climbs a lot of the times, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You could definitely uh, be pushing your bike a lot during this, like uh, an average day. Like I had a lot of days that were like 280 K off-road gravel roads, a little bit of single track. And that would like 4,000 meters of elevation. And then that would be, you'd be doing like three of those in a row. Right. So, and then your like light day would be like, I don't know, like 190 K. Maybe you get get a little treat of of some roads in there. (laughs) So. Right. Right. Did you take any days completely off, you know, due to recovery or, or just, I know mechanicals and, and even weather could be reasons for that. Did you take any days with like zero kilometers? No, I, I didn't take any zero days. You you can kind of like, like if if when it gets like really hard and stuff, you can always kind of like, you know, sleep and eat and like take a couple hours, try to get like a reset, you know, try to get back to some base level where you can kind of like feel like you're kind of in control of the situation. But, you know, taking more than that would kind of put you off your race effort. Okay. Now, were you riding in the darkness very much? Yeah, there's a lot of days I was riding till like three in the morning or something. I, I like riding at night, but it's it's a lot slower. So you really have to kind of like, I don't know, strategize. And I did a really bad job of that because I end up like a lot of days I'd end up riding till like three in the morning and then I wake up at like 630 or seven or something. And you're already wasted like an hour and a half of daylight or whatever. And, you know, I didn't have a dynamo. So, you know. 
mm-hmm. everything's batteries. So you have to like charge all your stuff at, at various places and stuff. So like, there's a couple times that, that I had to basically just sit around, wait for my stuff to charge. So, you know, that's not a great strategy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you really want to yeah. use your daylight hours. How often like you see so you're just sitting outside of like a convenience store stealing their electricity or like how do you <laughs> where do you charge up? Yeah, so yeah, basically like any in every restaurant, you know, if you stay for a restaurant for an hour, that's enough for about a day's worth of energy needs. Everything I have is like super fast charging. Like mm. the you you wouldn't believe the spreadsheet I have just for figuring out how to get my like lights to work, how many hours it takes, how many watt hours you need per day how much, how much energy your cell phone takes, you know, all that stuff needs to be all calculated. So you can figure out exactly how, how often you have to stop and, and do all that nerdery. It'd be a lot easier just to buy Dynamo Hub and (laughs) kind of just deal with losing a couple Watts, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Just to keep moving. Right. Cause you said that's one of the big things. And and we talk about that as far as stage races, marathon races is just idea that you don't really want to stop very much. So how did yeah. you think about that? You obviously have to stop. You also have said sleep's like really important in this long, long days, long uh, multi-day adventure. So tell me a bit about that, like this idea of, of keeping moving. Yeah. yeah. So some of my strategies for keeping movie, moving is like my goal when I start in the day is to not, not stop. Like ideally you would stop zero amount of time between when you wake up and when you go to bed. But you know, that's, obviously impossible. So what I try to do is I try to get at least 250 kilometers worth of food when I stop for food. And then that way you don't have to worry about like places being open and stuff like that. Cause like a lot of these places you're like going to mercantiles where it's like, you know, nine to five on, on Wednesday and Thursday only like it's, it's like the hours are crazy. So you really want to basically get as much Get as much as you're stopping done early, like it, during the day, and then just try to ride as much as you can, you know, pick up water where you can, like water is way heavier than food. Food isn't that heavy, comparatively speaking. So I always rolled with like a lot of food and like my bike would be completely full. Basically, most of the time mm-hmm. I'd have at least a, a thousand or two calories on my bike for sure. Okay. And then how are you thinking, you know, that's really popular right now in endurance sport is this like calories per hour and pushing what people are taking in. Like you said, have, you'd have about 250 kilometers worth of food. So what does, what does that mean? What does that look like to you when you're, you know, in a variety store and picking out, you know, little cakes and and treats and stuff like how, how do you quantify that? Yeah. So I I basically eat whatever looks good. I, I go to the convenience store and if I spend like 35 you know, dollars, that's not enough food. Like I'd be spending at least 50 bucks American. And, and then that food is all kind of like ends up looking the same. So it's like sandwiches, chocolate bars, things like that. And like cheese. And I drink a lot of like chocolate milk and ice cream. Like I just get like a pint of ice cream and like let it melt my Jersey. They're all kind of like sealed up a little bit. So that's not, there's like a little air conditioner. And then I would just like eat like drink the milk, like eat chocolate bars all day. I would have two packets with like nut, like nut based chocolate and stuff like that in it. And then I have another little bag for, for candy. And I keep those all topped up. And then I would eat as many sandwiches and like real food things as possible. And then I'd have that. That's like, 
the candy is like the afterburner. So if you're, you're run out of all that stuff, because the candy is like fairly light and then the chocolate has like lots of fat in it. So it's like fairly dense. Uh, but like sandwiches and stuff like that, they're really hard to store. Um, and then I go to Subway and get like three foot longs and then get them. Three foot longs. Oh, yeah. And then you, <laughs> For you a day? In... No, like well, I mean, you get that. Well, you get that. Like when you're shopping, you're getting a, a bunch of foot longs. You're getting lots of sauce put on them. And then you get the the cookies that they have at Subway are cheap and good. So that's like a you'd have a bag of cookies and then you'd just be taking out pieces of cookies all day. Right, right. Yeah. Wow. Like doing the actual math is way too much mental mental. Well, I like it. Now you've quantified food in terms of dollars and you've quantified food in terms of kilometers. (laughs) Yeah. None of this calories or grams of carbohydrate. Just (laughs) eat eat the cost. Absolutely. Well, eat as much as you can stand. Well, like tell me about that. Like you, you're mentioning all this dairy and yeah. milk and stuff, right? Like I, I'm just thinking milk was a bad choice, you know, this is <laughs> odd, but obviously this is like, once the intensity drops down, you know, probably that's good. It's, you know, tasty. I love yeah. chocolate milk. So d- you don't have any problems digesting that or, or did you have any problems with digestion over the course of these 18 um, days? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, it's like, it's not good. Like it doesn't feel good but none of it feels good. So it's, it's like, you need the calories, you need the fat. So you put up with it because it's perfect. It's basically perfect food for exactly what you're doing. So, you know, you put up with all the, all the, you know, problems with it because it's the right thing. And it's like, you can be, you can be bloated and pedal, you know, you could feel not great and still, mm-hmm. you know, put up the watts you need to do in the yeah. moment. But nothing major as far as, you know, as you say, it doesn't feel good, but you didn't, you obviously kept yeah. doing it. So it wasn't like yeah. disastrous. Yeah. Like you can put up with, with all the problems because the benefit's so good. So what high. did you do? You know, the hygiene pieces to me, probably for both Molly and I is, is a turnoff to, to bike packing. Do you look at like brushing your teeth a lot or like what's, yeah. what's, yeah. Like, like a couple times a day with all the candy and stuff or like, what's your, what's your tooth hygiene strategy? So, okay. So I lost like literally three toothbrushes because I kept it in, in the, in like one of the feed bags. So I ejected like a lot of, and I lost my bear spray, three toothbrushes, a pair of glasses. What else? A little mini tool, basically like, I don't know. I was just like shedding weight the entire voyage and just losing mm-hmm. random shit. Yeah. Con. Yeah. You got to brush your teeth all day, basically to, I guess, deal with all that. Okay. Did you have, and, and again, hi, do you like, we recognize this is extreme, you know, endurance, the things you're doing here. Like, is yeah. there, do you shower or is it like ever? Like, do you get them? I think you mentioned motel here. Like, did you get a motel yeah. along the way and shower or what's that look like? So at the beginning of it, you know, I, I would get a hotel if it's like raining or if I was like extremely muddy. So the first day coming into Fernie, the last like 10 K it was like near like maybe like three degrees raining and like just everyone and everything was super covered in mud. So I stayed at a hotel that day and, you know, had a shower, did all that stuff, ruined some towels, but like, I basically like try to camp as much as possible just because it's a little bit more convenient, but I ended up staying in like five hotels in 18 days, which is good. Uh, you know, just, I, I do a full kit wash, you know, if I'm going to be paying a hundred bucks, I'm going to get like value, you know, even if I'm going to be sleeping for four hours, I'm going to get the uh, clean everything off and it feels real good to get into it dry kit, dry, mm-hmm. clean kit. Sure. Yeah. Sure. 
Yeah. Okay. And then always with this, I guess you weren't necessarily going for an FKT, but it was there rules you were staying within as far as the like yeah. outside assistance, like that I think is okay because anyone could stay in a hotel and you, you know, is that yeah. sort of the rules you're, you're abiding by? Yeah. So basically the way it works is a, the, I guess the golden thing is you got to do it yourself. So anything that's available to everyone, you know, people can utilize, but if it's like special things like somebody dropping something off on the course or having somebody deliver you like a wheel that if you, if you break a wheel or something, it's like Mm -hmm. a non-commercial entity Mm -hmm. that's considered support. For example, you know, getting water from, you know, if you're in the desert and you ever, and you get water from somebody that that isn't giving water to everyone, that's kind of support. Or you have a team car that follows you the entire length of the thing or something. (laughs) Yeah. Team team moto versus stopping at a bike shop that is open nine to five and they, they fix your wheel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Okay, cool. Yeah. So tell me a bit about, you know, I'm trying to think through questions that folks would be having if they were considering, you know, one of these bigger, if they were considering one of these bigger trips, what, you know, as far as the bike type, I guess would be maybe one place that we'd be wondering, like, is this a road bike? Is this a mountain bike? Is it a cross bike? Like, what are you riding these days? I know you did go towards mountain bikes more. Are you still on that sort of path of things? Yeah, I I rode a salsa cutthroat, which is a drop bar mountain bike. It's absolutely perfect for this. It's a lot, the, a lot of the descents are a lot like gnarlier than I I would suspect people to think because there there's a lot of like baby head descents and like rough gravel roads like proper mountain roads so for me living in ontario like we don't really have that anywhere for the most part but there's like you know a mountain bike is definitely the right bike drop bar or flat bar depending on your own preference you know i think it's about half and half these days what people are using i i use aero bars which is a lifesaver because i have my hands go numb so my hands basically didn't go numb during this voyage. And I used a, a redshift stem, which I think is great. It's basically, it's like a suspension stem uh, that has like a elastomer that has a little bit of like 20 mils of travel, which is just enough to take the buzz out of everything. So. Cool. Yeah. I hadn't seen those. I was yeah. thinking maybe you were going to say it was adjustable stem to move your position, but you're saying it's just a bouncy stem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Now, yeah. so your, your bike doesn't actually have suspension though. No, no, it's fully rigid. Okay. Do you have any idea on loaded weight? Like there's the bike, but then I know you have all these bags attached to it. So how much do you figure your bike was weighing? I I assume, you know, because you are a spreadsheet guy. I think, I think it was around 50 pounds with water and everything. So it's like, like fairly light for like a touring setup. Like, and I had, I don't know, about four, four and a half liters worth of uh, water capacity. And then uh, I could carry, you know, 200, like a whole day's worth of food on the bike. And it, that'd be basically completely stuffed. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. And your Instagram, which you can remind me of the handle there is you've done a bunch of different posts over the last couple of years about the bags you've made and you've now made a yeah. lot of your own bags, right? Yeah. 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 It's B-R-K-L-Y-N underscore underscore. So yeah, I've made, I made a bunch of bags out of pack and of different types, like X-Pack Lite. You know, my mom, when I was a kid, sold sewing machines. So, you know, she taught me how to sew. And then I've basically been making bags and stuff for like the last couple of years, just because like 
bikepacking stuff is like so crazy expensive. Like I'd rather just buy like twice three times as much fabric and just mm-hmm. just make it even more expensive right <laughs> you know it's like you just end up with all this equipment and everything it's way more money to build and make your own bags but right. it's really fun you get exactly what you want like i made as far as it can be i made like a, the front bag i made was kind of like aerodynamic ish shape like it was kind of like a bullet type shape that would hopefully move the air around my like feed bags So like, I'm not sure how useful that it was from an aero perspective, but in a headwind, you know, that'd probably be pretty useful. So it sort of goes out under your aero bar then is what I'm visualizing. Like the bullet piece, you know, would sort of go out and come together about where your aero bars would end. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, suspended from the aero bar. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's neat. As six liters in the front. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I guess that's, <laughs> I'm still stuck yeah. on 50 pounds. I'm like, I don't think I could go f- up any hill with 50 pound bicycle. Yeah. I think I'd fall over. But you don't, you don't go that fast. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, speaking of going fast, like I, I, I mentioned to you, Alex Howes was on, I'll, I'll put this in the show notes, of course. I think it's the Podium podcast. And he was speaking a bit towards his experience there. Now, did you cross paths with any of these pro tour folks who were doing the race or, or the uh, ride as well? Yeah, so Alex had some issues, I guess, earlier on, and then he ended up passing me at some point. I don't know how how long it took, but I I saw him at one point. I, I you know he was he's really booking it, but I think he had kind of a couple of issues. I, I don't really know. I, didn't, I haven't listened to that podcast. But... Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Something about a wheel busting or something. Well, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that. There's lots of people that broke stuff. Like mm-hmm. Katya broke a bottom bracket, and she's using one of the weird ones i think the 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 47 you know what oh, that is t47 yeah yeah the t47 i've had that same like, problem and not in the middle of yeah. colorado i had that yeah. in, the, in the gta and it couldn't be fixed so i yeah. imagine yeah 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 and like lots of guys broke wheels some people got like many people that got booted out there's one guy that had a you know he 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 started the race with a broken fork <laughs> You know, there's like, there's all these equipment things. You got to keep it real simple. Like if you're going to be doing this, you know, ride the most basic stuff, you know, 11, don't just go with the 11 speed. It's everywhere. The Shimano stuff is, is really good. It's like from a, not to get super nerdy, but from like a chain efficiency, it's even a lot faster than some of the, the 12 speed ceram stuff. You know, waxing your chains is really good. The synergetic stuff, lube, is fantastic. It's super fast and and very clean. I think Silka makes that. Yeah. Is it a wax-based lube or what is that? No. Actually, you don't want a wax-based lube because the wax, the the emulsifier, has to completely evaporate. So you want a a wet lube because, A, you're going to run into weather, obviously, but the the wax lube will emulsify and basically like won't lubricate properly because you have to ride it, right? So the way to use wax lube is to wax it after you ride and then and then ride the next day. If you don't do that, it just makes you know, it makes your chain quiet, but it doesn't lubricate as well. Hmm. Okay. It sounds like you've looked a lot into this. <laughs> oh, I nerded it out so hard. Like well, I guess lube, I, like, I mean, in these conditions and so long, like you can't, like your chain just can't be rusty and, and like, you know, yeah. inefficient for days and days. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, I like, like Ted King is, is doing 200, uh, 200 Watts, 230 Watts or something like that. And I'll be doing like one, one thirty. like the last couple of days, that's probably doing around a hundred Watts. But like, I started, I started off at like 150, 160 average. And then it just went like down over time. So like, I knew that that was going to happen. So I, I, that's why I didn't run a dynamo because that takes three Watts. And so, and your chain can take another three or four Watts. And then the bike shape of your bags can, can take another couple Watts. Even if you're going slow, it still makes a difference. Right. So mm -hmm. guys like me have to be as efficient as possible, you know, mm. cause I don't have the, the horsepower. Well, and I love, I, I mean, this is why I love coaching off-road generally, cause there's so many different factors, but in these endurance things, we talk a lot about experience is just so yeah so important, right? Like you, yeah. the version of yourself from six, 10 years ago, wouldn't have finished this thing. And it's not that you are fitter than you were five or 10 years ago. You probably are, are equal or, or even better, but you now are, are more, you know, prepared. You have more, all this experience from your BT yeah. and your bikepacking 101 and all this. Oh, I, I think, I think the big thing is like, you know, the riding a, a bike, fast in a bike race is is a lot different than you know you, you don't have to for you don't have to have like world-class like eating or in digesting I, th I think there's a there's a lot of skills but it's also like being able to continue to eat continuing to you know think ahead a little bit i mean i think the answer is like they just don't have the experience right so like what's worked yeah. in the past doesn't right like you just put yeah. throw watts at a problem but you can't always throw yeah. watts when it goes on for days or when your wheel can't take this or when your bike weighs four times or four times is maybe an exaggeration but three yeah. times you know two and a bit times more than what a you know a pro tour bike would weigh you can't just send a 50 pound bike into a pile of rocks right yeah so you have to, you have to eat, you have to eat properly. You have to, you have to be able to like, you know, you have to be able to like cry on the bike. You know, you can't, you can't be, you can't be feeling sad for yourself and, and also not be moving. So you gotta be able to do that. You gotta be able to, you know, have all your, your pre-planning done and make sure that you've, you've read all the things about where you're going. You know, I did, I went through all my maps and I got all the, the times that people like places were open. I had that on my phone in a big spreadsheet. So I knew when my next stop was, you have to keep pedaling. That's like the most important thing is, you know, Jay Pitterberry says like, go moving forward. And like, that's the most important thing. You have to keep going. You can't stop. You can't feel sorry for yourself. You can't, you know, spend the extra time. Cause like, it just sucks up so much time and, and what have you, you just gotta keep moving. Like, even if you're going slow, you know, we're all going slow. Like you, you can't, you can't, you can't waste it. You can't beat like win this thing in like three days. You can't go, you know, you're going to outrace your stomach. You're going to start having problems. You're, you're going to mess up, you know, all sorts of stuff. If you go through a rest stop too fast and you forget something or, you know, you start just eating candy and then what your body really needs is like sandwiches and like, you know, like, like I ate a ton of burritos. Like I'm sick of like frozen burritos. But, you know, you could fill up your pockets with burritos in like five seconds. So that's easy, right? So, and then being able to, you know, not put on your jacket on and off five times in like five hours. Like, you know, you just 
keep it on and, and kind of like deal with the consequences type type stuff. Like it all adds up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, I think that's that, that for sure is experience, like finding that efficiency. Um, and one of the things I thought in that, that same interview I was mentioning with Alex Howes, you know, he was sort of just awestruck because it was so hard for him. And so he sort of had this, like, I guess this impression or, or this insight that like, it would be very hard as a, you know, a quote unquote, normal person, someone who doesn't have a pro tour engine. Like he's like, I don't mm-hmm. think this is even possible, but like, it obviously is possible, but you know, I don't yeah. understand how. So, so what's your, like, why do, why would a, a normal person, you know, go and do this? Like, I, it seems wild. I don't know because it was there. Is that an answer? Yeah, I <laughs> think so. Was... I mean, that's like your classic, yeah. The Everest yeah. thing. Yeah. What, I, I mean, what, 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 did you see people like you, you were going, you were quick, yeah. you, you did pretty well with this. Like there's obviously other people, like what, what was your impression? Like, are people trying to find themselves or it's just like a super hard challenge? Like what's, what's your impression of why people take this on? I don't know. Like, I, th- I feel like I, I took this on way too early. Like I should have, like, I've only done that BTE 700 thing. And that was like, you know, a 50 hour effort, basically like nonstop. And that was you know, great and a lot. And, you know, there was some tears. I'm not going to lie, but this is like so much more than that. So, you know, you, you go, you go to these places, you you find out what you should do and then you, then you do it. Right. Now on that note, like <laughs> a lot of people on these things find, like, as you say, you start crying and, and these yeah. things that, like visions, did you find like on the trail, did you end up with any of these like yeah. just visionary, you know, moments, you're cresting yeah. a mountain in the darkness or something. Yeah. So my, my goal for this was I, I was not going to hallucinate because I, I was kind of hallucinating a little bit on the BT 700 and I'm like very much not interested in doing that for, for, you know, 18 days straight. So whenever I get like all the way done, I would just go to sleep and like, you know, that's basically when I knew to shut it down. Cause like, I was like completely nuked for the day, but no, I didn't, I didn't hallucinate. Oh, I found out recently I, I was at, as with my riding friends and we rode out to the Leslie split in Toronto here. And I had a, a couple of beers and I rode home, which is about an hour and a half. And I found out that that's exactly what it feels like to ride the tour divide. It's like that kind of like little, little bit of drunkenness and then riding your bike at night that's what it feels like so if you want to experience a td night there you go try that okay and and that's what i mean i think that's sometimes i don't know if that's what people go into it but i think you need to be prepared that there's going to be these like moments during it for sure and and do you think that people get addicted to that in a little bit like in the same not yeah the but not in the bad sense it's probably (laughs) the wrong word to say addicted but you know, we, we get it in the same way that I keep racing mountain bikes, you know, vigorously because of like a feeling or, or something that yeah. you get out of that. So do you, it must be right. Like, it's just like on day, you know, hour 50, I start feeling like this, right? Like, is that, yeah. Is that drive? Like, do you think there are a lot of people are out there on that sort of journey? You know, I want to talk for, for everybody with why, but for me, you know, you do get addicted. Like it's, it's just such a weird and wild, complete total departure. It's a completely different thing than you're used to. It's a different like uh, mode of existence, you know? So mm-hmm. it's, it's, I, I can see why people would get addicted to it because it's, it's not fun as such, but it's just so different that, you know, it's, it's extremely stimulating and, uh, you know, raging down all those, those mountain passes feels amazing. 
you know, like doing like, cause you, cause you're, when you're riding, you're like, I can't believe how much better I am at downhill now than, than, than last year. Like I did an enduro race recently, you know, baby enduro race at a horseshoe and I PR'd everything every single day of the weekend. And just, just from riding all those kilometers on, you know, non-suspended bike, just raging down all these, these gravel roads. It's like, you're just, it's so loose and you're riding such a heavy bike and you know, it is addicting. It's totally addicting. Like I, I'm going to do a bunch. I, I want to do at least one or two events next year. Cause it does like really mess up your body. So mm-hmm. I'm going to do some events in the spring and then I'm going to take the rest of the year to do more like, like mountain biking and things of that nature next year. So you mean you'll do a few like long bike packing things early in the year? Is that what you mean? Yeah. 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 I want to do like doom next year, which is in Arkansas, 600 K 13,000 meters of elevation. Hmm. So the current cool. FKT is like 30 hours or, or 40 hours sorry, around there. So it's okay. a little bit shorter. Hmm. I'm just thinking here that, you know, the, when someone's considering this, right? Like I, I think there must be people that take like 40 days. Like, is that like, is there a yeah. lot of people back in the like 40, 50, 60 days to, to do this? Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, the, for the tour divide, tour divide is a race, right? So for the tour divide, the broom is, I think it's 25 days. Oh, so by the, if, you know, if you fall behind the broom for three days, you get set to the touring tracker basically. So, you know, the race is, is less than 25 days, but like people tour it all the time. It's called the, the great divide. So yeah, people, people tour it all the time. I, we saw all sorts of touring people, people going both directions. Yeah. And I think that's the answer, you know, when they're looking at like, how does a quote unquote normal person do that is, you know, well, normal people go on backpacking trips for two months and, and probably do it. Like, I don't know if it's that route, but there's all the hiking routes that are right across or yeah. right, you know, down the country. And I guess that's how they do it. As you say, they keep one foot in front of the other and yeah. <laughs> rage, rage the odd downhill down the mountain, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Lots of people do a hundred kilometers a day. And they take, you know, that's 40, 47 days. So if you took, if you budgeted 50 days to do it, I think that that'd be, you know, fairly doable for, for most avid cyclists. Cool. Yeah. Uh, as we get towards the end here, I think the only other question I want to know is like, as far as training, you know, I'm always curious, you know, were you doing intervals? Were you doing huge volume or was it just like little mini bike packs? Like what, what did the, maybe the six weeks out from this ordeal, like what, what did that look like for you? Yeah. So basically I did, I kind of do kind of like a weird way of doing it. I'll do kind of like a speed spot base type program in the winter uh, you know, December, January, February, and then I'll get outside and start doing a bunch of like very cold, uncomfortable, like six hour rides and stuff like that. Kind of like bigger kind of like endurance rides. And then as I go, I'll kind of get, I'll get a, a couple of bikepacking races or not races, but bikepacking type events as I go and kind of like get everything tuned up and take all the equipment out. And then I'll get right down to doing like you know, four by fives, like VO2 type stuff for the couple weeks before and just kind of get as, as like fresh as I can. So it's it's actually fairly similar to the stuff that, that we are doing during the Olympic style mountain bike racing. 
Sure. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So you actually sort of do like a bit of a, a normal progression down to like, almost oh, like yeah. you were, but then on the weekends, like you do work, you don't full time. Yeah. So you, you're sort of a weekend warrior by some respects, right? So you are saying like, you know, yeah. you try and fit in a bit of trainer riding, you live in Canada. So the winters sort of are not conducive to long bike packing, yeah. I guess, aside from fat biking now. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, I do start, a lot of fat biking, <laughs> but then even in the summer you have to work and, and mountain bike and all this other stuff. So you're doing it still some speed work as even in the last six weeks is this big event. And then, and then on the weekend, you're doing these more adventures and specific work. Is that, yeah, I love it. Yeah. You know, even, even with the 40 hours a week, I'd still get 25 hour riding and weeks in wow. you just do. Yeah. You, you have to just like, you know, it's just going to be dark. <laughs> you know when you're when you're doing your uh riding you have to and would that look like though is that like a heavy you know a lot of the, this is in the last six weeks i assume you mean but like the is that like a heavy friday saturday sunday or like where do those hours come in mostly probably tuesday wednesday thursday and then the weekend will be a lot heavier probably than you know right. so you you do maybe i do a lot of like three hour endurance rides in the week Mm -hmm. And then I'll do kind of like spicy, a spicy day on, on Tuesday and then three hour on Wednesday. And then I'll do kind of like a tempo thing on, on Thursday. And then the weekend will be like much bigger stuff. So probably like a, a four to six hour ride each day. Mm -hmm. And I try like a lot of that too, is you have to like focus on like not stopping. <laughs> like, the, like once you get going, you have to have like prep in such a way that, that you can stay on the bike the whole time. Mm -hmm. So everything has to be comfortable, all your gear. Like I do my bike fit kind of on the run. So your bike fit like constantly changes and you have to kind of like adapt. So I've learned how to like make all the little micro adjustments and stuff over time. Is that like during the event you mean, or like as you're building or both, I guess. But yeah, like when you're, when you're coming up to the event is like getting all that, that stuff dialed. So mm -hmm. you're not, you're not hurting anything. But during then, the event, were you even tweaking stuff? I know sometimes you like people have to, you know, their back goes or their neck yeah. goes or their whatever, but it, were, did you find you had to make adjustments during the event? You know, I, I hurt my knee a little bit, like the underside of my knee just, for, and it, that really come out during like downhill stuff. So I think I moved my seat a little bit, but like, I tend to ride with my like for this type of stuff, I tend to ride with my seat a little bit lower than I normally would, just because you can run into a lot more problems with a high seat than you can with a low seat. So like over time, I, it, my opinion, it's, it's a little bit better to be a little bit lower and maybe that's like slightly inefficient in some mm -hmm. ways, but you, your body mechanics is, is way more important than, than anything else. Cause you can't mm -hmm. really pedal the bike when you're in like a lot of pain. Well, and I wonder right. if the low seat, it probably depends if you're someone who like, if you have had a lot of hamstring back and knee stuff, maybe the lower yeah. seat does, as you say, or the low seat, I could see also letting you move. Like you could move on the saddle. Like if you were starting to get a saddle sores, like you could move back on the saddle. Whereas if the seat was high, you're sort of stuck where you are, right? Yeah. Like you, you know, or you could ride the nose, I guess, but that's not going to last very long. Yeah. Interesting. So I, okay. For the BT 700, I had my seat too high and at the end of the the ride, like I didn't want to touch it at the end of the ride, I couldn't walk. Like, like I, I, in order to get off my bike, I had to put my bike on the ground and then walk away from the bike, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so like that could, that can definitely happen in these long things. Like a, a little something can just, you know, 
multiply so much. Into- Which is, I think, like that's such the balances. And it sounds like you've done a good job building up those weekend rides, but that's like, it's hard to find those issues if you don't get in a, like these longer gameplay, you know, six, seven hours. Yeah. In the context that you're going to have to ride, like what were you riding every day, like 13 hours for for 16 days, right? So at yeah. some point, like you need to ride a lot and have your butt on the saddle. Yeah, yeah. Like for instance, one weekend in in March, I, I rode back to back eight hour rides, uh, and in those, you're, yeah, you just gotta adjust everything, make sure everything's you know working, and mm-hmm. those little little niggles like become really bad. Mm-hmm. Bad issues. I, I, I love your thought too. Like, and maybe I, I heard what I wanted to hear, or maybe this is what you were saying too. Like just when you're out on these six, five, six, seven, eight hour rides, like you're, you're trying to stay on the bike and moving and on the pedals even. And and I do find that that's a look at folks rides. And this could be people with minimal time to train or people with, you know, too much time to train. And there's a lot of inefficiency, right? Where there's a ton of coasting, a ton of stop time, you know, coffee shop stops like 45 minutes out of a, you know, a two hour ride. And, you know, this isn't a two hour ride. This is like a 50 minute ride. Is that what you meant? Like that, like you try and stay on the pedals and moving while you're out? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. You, you want to, you want to keep, keep moving, keep on the pedals, keep your legs moving. You know, the, the whole point of these long rides is to get your body to like burn fat. So, you know, you're, you have to kind of keep the kettle boiling, right? So, right, right. you know, keep a nice constant, no sprinting. Like even when I'm going up hills on these rides, I'm like going real easy. You know, I have a power meter on almost all my bikes, so I keep it low. And then if mm-hmm. I'm not using a power meter, I'll use my heart rate. And I, you know, on a ride like this, I'll keep it in the, like around 140, 142 or something like that for me is, is a good, like, like in, in your training rides, too. you mean? training rides yeah absolutely yeah 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 middle of zone two don't don't push the top of the zones or whatever just get that middle now what i would imagine during the race is that then you actually would probably take the opportunity to coast lots of the time and and oh, if yeah. you can if you can move like you're actually so the the saying that always is you want to maximize the work you can do in training and then you minimize the work you have to do you know in the the race in the event right yeah yeah, yeah. like boy uh, I, I would try to avoid using my brakes. Like I coast to a stop, you know, any type of time that you want to do adjustment, you do it at the top of the hill uh, instead of stopping at the bottom, obviously, you know, you put on, you, 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 when you're naturally going slow is when you want to like, you know, put on your, your rain jacket or whatever, stuff like that. When you're, when you do stop, you do everything. So you, you know, every single photo I took involved a pee break for example, and like adjusting things and like putting on gloves and, and doing everything that you need to do all at the same time. So you can like, just not stop for the next hour and a half or something. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, in the last couple of minutes here, is there anything that we haven't covered that, you know, people should know about tour divide or, or some of these massive, you yeah. know, men, many, many day <laughs> adventures? Yeah. Yeah. I, I really think that a lot of these things, you know, people can do, like, I think that that's the coolest part about all this stuff is that the community itself is like, very much like, you know, there for, for people and like, you know, wants to see people like get out there and, and do some crazy stuff. You know, all the people I met were like super interesting, kind of like really unique people. Like there's like a lot of characters uh, that I met during this, this ride. But I think, I think that, I think it's, you know, fairly accessible to do multi-day rides. You can make your own stuff. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of stuff out of some wheel bags I just got. So, you know, you can recycle things, you can repurpose stuff. Not all your gear has to have like a bike manufacturer logo on it. You know, outdoor research makes like phenomenal gear. Mm-hmm. A lot of that stuff is, is really good. You know, look for stuff that isn't necessarily at a bike shop in some cases. And that's, you know, they'll uh, kind of like make it a little bit more accessible. Yeah. And maybe more applicable too to just being out in the wilderness for, you know, 20 yeah. days, plus or minus 20 days here. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I appreciate you sharing all this wisdom and experience and the adventures along the way and, and your the peace stuff photos and all this. You mentioned your Instagram account. We'll get that off you again. And then also your bikepacking route out of the GTA you should mention as well. Yeah, sure. That's a bang, bang route. It's 250 or 270 kilometers and vast right majority of, of it's single track. And right, right out of Toronto. downtown Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. And I've pointed a few clients just for like route ideas, just to almost get out of Toronto or, or like new sort of just like variable terrain routes, whether they're going to do the whole thing or not. But that's, you said it was 200 plus K. Yeah. But you can, you know, you cut it down to whatever you want. It's right. really easy. It's kind of like a, an L shape. So if you, you know, decide that you want to go home, like home's always kind of close, regardless mm-hmm. of which end you start at. Well, you're, so. and you could, I guess, get an Uber or something or the train or, or any of these things. Yeah. Yeah, cool. a bunch of it's right along the the go train route. So that's useful. <laughs> Love it. Love it. And again, your Instagram, if folks want to follow along your bike packing adventures and tips and bag construction and all this other stuff. Yeah. It's B-R-K-L-Y-N underscore underscore. Cool. Well, thanks, Brooke. Thanks, Peter. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 